Well, I remember when I was first going into ministry straight out of seminary, my wife and I, we went to help start a church. I was the associate pastor at a church in Austin, Texas, just kind of from the ground up living room style to a meeting location. And I mean, I was so fired up about Jesus, his mission in the world. And I still have that today, but at this, this point in my life, I was just so overwhelmed by the fact that the God of the universe would use somebody like me to help see people go from death to life in Jesus Christ. And, and I was so fired up about that. Like we went and planted a church, my first job in ministry, and I didn't receive a paycheck. And I had to work two other jobs to do the, the one job that I really loved to do. And I was just in this mountaintop season. I was seeing God change people's lives and do that through little old me. And I loved it. And it wasn't just a, just a few months into that, that church plant and vocational ministry that uh, my wife's cousin, who was 19 years old at the time, uh, got cancer, brain cancer. And you see, my wife's cousin, her name was Esther. Uh, she was one of the most beautiful people that you would ever meet, like inside and out, one of the kindest people you would ever meet, an incredible person of faith, a smart person, a bright person. She was a medical student at the University of Texas, had her whole life in front of her. And my wife is Indian, many of you know that. And in that culture, my cousins are like sisters. They grew up together. They were, they were tight. They locked arms together in their childhood. And, and I remember Esther having some migraines and going to the doctor and her parents actually pushed really hard for an MRI. And as a result of that MRI, they found a brain tumor and it was cancerous. And they navigated it for a little while, but eventually it quickly escalated to stage four and she passed away. And I remember in that, that season leading up to her death, being at the hospital all the time, and many of you have been there. And we were just in and out of the hospital all the time. Family was there, friends were there. And, and you gotta remember at this moment, I'm not just cousin, I'm pastor. And so I was expected to have all the answers. And yet all I had were questions. See, I was looking at a world where rapists and terrorists and corrupt people live to their 70. And yet I saw this 19-year-old girl full of hope and life and so bright. I saw her sick and dying. And I had questions for God. I had questions for God of like, God, why, why wouldn't you just save her? Like miraculously, why? that would be a great plan, God. That would be a great testimony to your glory and your power and your grace. And I bet all these people that I'm with in this hospital, some of them don't know you. I bet they would come to know you, be changed forever, God. Why, why wouldn't you do that? And I had, I, had, I had questions. I didn't have answers. And I imagine in a room this size, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Whether it's a hospital room, whether it's loss like that, whether it's conflict, whether it's abuse when you were a little kid, just doesn't make any sense. Whether it's your parents' divorce or your divorce, and you, you're, you're a believer in Jesus. Some, I know not everybody in this room is, but maybe some of you are, and you're like, man, I, I know God is good. 
I know God is sovereign. I, I know he rescues people. I know he's changed my life. I know he's changed other people's life. And, and yet I look around and sometimes it seems like evil is winning. And what do I do with that? And you don't have all the answers and you seem to have a lot of questions. And if you're like me, maybe you wonder, is that okay? Is it appropriate to have questions for God? Is it allowed? What I would say to you is, I believe we're gonna look at this book of Habakkuk and other places in scripture as well, but in a really pronounced way, we're gonna see that it is more than okay, that God actually invites your questions, that he wants you to come to him when you don't have the answers and when life doesn't make sense and he's still good, and he's still faithful. And so if, if that's you today, if you've ever been in that spot, if you're in that spot right now, listen, if you're like, Tim, I have no idea what you're talking about, then I would say somehow you skipped children's ministry and you're four years old, and you can made it in this room. Because if you've lived any life, you've experienced this. If you haven't, I promise you, you will. And I wanna help you as your pastor. I wanna help you wrestle with this tension that we all wrestle with. And so we're gonna look at the book of Habakkuk. So grab your booklet, grab your Bible, whatever you need to do, get God's word in front of you. And we're gonna start in Habakkuk verse one, and we're gonna go to 11. And let me read it. We're gonna break it down. I want us to see how Habakkuk engages God in the midst of a time where he doesn't really have the answers and see what that teaches us about how to do the same. Habakkuk 1 verse 1, it says this, the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. This is God's response. Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings, they scoff, and at rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Here's our first point if you take notes. It's God invites your questions. God invites your questions. What's interesting as we jump into the book, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but Habakkuk doesn't really have an introduction. Anybody else looking for the greetings? <laughs> Like, hey, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you and God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. I, is that is a different translation? I, it wasn't in mine. But, but he just skips the, tra the, the, the introduction. He skips the, the greetings and he jumps right into the pain and the chaos. And if you look at those first few verses, you see it. 
Look at his word choice. Twice he uses the word violence. He says iniquity, wrong, destruction, strife, contention. Even in his verse one technical introduction, he uses that word oracle. That's another word for burden. And it gets dark really quick for Habakkuk because things aren't going well. You see, Habakkuk wrote this about 600 BC. He's from the nation of Judah and and they're having some issues like within the people of God, not the bad people out there. We're gonna talk about them too, but within the people of God, there is injustice, there is pain, there is violence. And Habakkuk is wrestling with that. Well, we know a little bit from history, 2 Kings 22 through 23, there's a king, his name's Josiah. And he actually, in the nation of Judah, he brings a little bit of a revival back into this land. He, help, he helps restore the temple. He clears it out of pagan worship. And he starts to, to call people to repentance and a covenant relationship with a holy and a loving God. That's King Josiah. But King Josiah dies and his son takes over. And all the good that he built and all the godly things that that they were seeing in the country, they go by the wayside and things are off the rails. And that's where we find ourselves in the book of Habakkuk. You you see it in verse four, he says, God's law is is paralyzed. His justice is being perverted. That the, the actions of God's people, like people are being mistreated horizontally, but God is being misrepresented vertically. It's serious. This is happening amongst the people of God. And Habakkuk is, is crying out. He's, he's seeing all this violence. He's seeing all this injustice. And so as we frame this up, even this whole series, like ask God anything, you got to understand the context of this moment. This is not just like ask God anything when things don't make sense and you don't have all the answers because it's hot in Phoenix. Or because you're, you're sad your vacations got cut short and your kids are back in school or you're back to work. Or because the Cardinals don't look too hot this preseason. Because they, they don't. But um, <laughs> this, that's not what's going we're on. Not, we're not talking about inconvenience. We're talking about injustice. And so what is Habakkuk, this prophet? He hears from God. This leader, he's supposed to give insight to the people, guide and lead the people. How does Habakkuk respond? Does he have all the answers? He seems to have all the questions. Look at it with me. He says, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save. He's been asking these questions for a long time. How long? He says, why do you make me see all this iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? He's saying, God, do you hear me? Do do you see what's happening? Do you care? Are you you going to do something? Are you just watching everything that's happening and sitting there, God? Habakkuk, the prophet, the leader, the one to give insight, the one to give the answers, all he has or questions. And he's wrestling with this tension. And some of you have been there where you, you know God. You actually believe in the God of the Bible. You, you believe in what he has done in your life and other people's lives. You believe like God isn't evil. 
Habakkuk didn't believe God was evil. Habakkuk calls God Lord, the personal name for God. He had a personal relationship with God. Habakkuk knew God. He was in church on Sunday. He was reading his Habakkuk booklet. He couldn't then, but you know what I'm saying. He was reading his Hebrew Bible back in that day. During the week, he was memorizing the verses. On one hand, he knows who God is. But in the other hand, He's seeing things in life that don't match up with who God is. Have you been there? He's, he's wrestling with that tension. Have, have you been there? When you know God is perfect in his character and his nature, you know God is loving in his person and his work. And yet you look at your broken marriage and you wonder, God, when are you going to show up and do something? I mean, this is contentious every single day of my life. We fight and we are cold to one another and we are passive. God, and I know marriage, God, you created marriage. It's meant to be a picture of Christ in the church. God, I know you, I know you love me. I know you want more from my marriage than this. Why, why is nothing changing? Some of you look, look at your relationship with your kids and you're thinking, I know you say like, I should manage my household and like kids, like Psalm 127 says, kids are a gift from the Lord. But that tantrum right now, it doesn't seem, that's not how I would describe a gift I want for Christmas. And God, it's, it's not like in my house, it's in public and people are watching and I'm the pastor. I mean, this isn't hypothetical for your pastor, okay? Like, what are people gonna think if I can't, why wouldn't, you, why wouldn't you bring like a positive spirit into my, like God, I know you want me to like, you want me to give to what you're doing. Like financially, you want me to give to be a part of it. One problem, I ain't got no money. And, and every paycheck, I mean, it's, it's gone. We're, we're looking at, like I paid on the 15th. How is it the 18th and my bank account is empty already? Where did it all go? And God, you want me to have resources so I can invest in the kingdom. Like, why don't you step in and do something? You want me to be a, a witness at work, but this other guy, he keeps being promoted even though he doesn't read his Bible and doesn't go to church and doesn't love the Lord. And he's getting the promotion. Meanwhile, I'm sitting over here. What kind of influence do I have? It's not growing, it's weakening. God, what are you doing? Do you not see these things? I know you're good. I know you're sovereign. I've read about that. But in this moment, it seems like evil is winning, not you. Have you been there? Some of you are there right now. And what do you do with that tension? You see, there's only a few options when you intersect this. One option is not, I don't have to deal with that. Listen, we live in a broken, sinful world. If you haven't, you will deal with this. So, so the options are just a few. The first one is you can suppress it, ignore it, and numb it. You can just act like it doesn't exist. Come in here, raise your hand, sing a song, put a smile on it. You can just numb it with Netflix and social media and the next movie that's out or alcohol or sex or drugs. You can just ignore it. You can just play the game. And if you do that, and I think we've seen this in our own lives and other people's lives, if we wake up, we've seen that doesn't work out well, that that leads to a bitter, cold, hardened heart. As a pastor, I, I've seen that. I've seen, I've seen people struggle in life. And every time I go ask them how it's going, it's good, pastor. God is good all the time. God is good. 
are you, are you sure? Because I, I just heard about this happened in your marriage, in your life. And they're like, oh, yeah, everything's good. And I'm like, man, I just, I don't think, I don't think I can help you. I don't think God can help you if you won't be honest about where you are. Because God meets us where we are, not where we pretend to be. And so we grow cold if we ignore it. That's one option. Another option that I think we see a lot, especially in the last few years, is people just walk away. Right? They start to see this, this intersection of what I know to be true and then what I see and experience in life and those don't intersect well. And so I'm just walking away from my faith. I'm leaving the church. Right? I've seen friends do this countless times, especially in the last three years. Let me just tell you something. The pain doesn't go away, but they no longer have the presence of God there with them through the pain. In fact, I often see the pain increases and things get worse, not better. Those are a couple of options. I imagine if you're like me, we've gone through those options. Here's the other option, and I believe the biblical option that we see in Habakkuk is we don't walk away, we don't ignore it, we wrestle with God and we give him our questions. And, and I think the, the reason many of us, we, we don't choose that option if we're honest, is we wonder, I'm not sure if it's okay to do that with God. I, I kind of grew up in church or even away from the church. I was kind of scared of big almighty God. And you don't ask God your questions. And so you wonder if it's okay. So, so while you're wondering if it's okay, you walk away from God. While you're wondering if it's okay, instead of going to God and wrestling with God, you just numb your pain and your questions. And as a pastor, one of my burdens uh, to do this series, to, to do this difficult book, to be honest with you, of Habakkuk, is that, that you might return to, to wrestling with God. Listen, God would rather you wrestle with him than walk away from him. God would rather you ask him questions than to leave his presence altogether because God meets you where you are, not where you pretend to be. And he can actually intervene in your life. He can do a work in you and through you. That's, that's one of the most powerful things maybe that's ever happened to your life. And it can be that in the midst of pain, if you will go to him. And I, I know for me, I just, even as I read these questions from Habakkuk, I just, I'm uncomfortable but then I look at the whole of scripture, like, you know, Habakkuk's just one person. Some of you might be like, well, Tim, yes, Habakkuk talks this way to God, but he's just one guy. Is there any other precedent for this in scripture? And I would say is, I'm glad you asked. There is. <laughs> I'm just gonna give you a few. Um, Moses, we just talked about this a few weeks ago, right? The great rescuer of our Old Testament. Yet Moses in Exodus chapter five, he turns to the Lord and he says, why have you done this evil? Why did you even send me God? Gideon, this mighty warrior of God, God calls him to go defend his people. And you know what his first response was? Judges chapter six, he says, God, wait, I'll get to the fighting thing later. Why'd you let all this happen to begin with? Jeremiah, the righteous, the holy prophet, Jeremiah 12, he says to God, so let me bring you this complaint. <laughs> I love that he starts with that. God, I have a complaint for you. This isn't a restaurant, but God, you know, he takes it. And, and Jeremiah says, hey, why are the wicked so prosperous? Why are evil people so happy? David, a man after God's own heart, surely he didn't have any questions for God, right? 
Read the Psalms. <laughs> I'm going to give you one. Psalm chapter 13, he said it this way. How long, Lord? Who's that sound like? Habakkuk. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? John the Baptist, the one who paved the way for Jesus. We see him in Matthew chapter 11. He says, God, are you, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Or should I look for somebody else? Because I'm in jail right now awaiting a beheading. Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, is on the cross and he looks to his father and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, as I just gave you all those giants of the faith and obviously Jesus himself, we could say, well, what do they all have in common? Well, the godly, holy, righteous people. And I would say, yes, but they also have in common, they all asked questions to God. It's not just okay to ask your questions to God. It is invited. God wants you to come, with, come to him. If you get nothing else out of this series, and I hope you get some things, but get that. Stop hiding. Stop numbing and stop trying to walk away and start wrestling with God. He is good and sovereign, and he has rescued you out of death and into life. And yet you live in a broken world where jacked up things happen and they happened to you when you were a kid and they happen to you now and they happen to other people and they happen to your dad and they, they happen to these, like, and both are true. I remember going to seminary and, and thinking all my answers, or all my questions would be answered. I remember our first chapel service, we go in and the chancellor of our seminary, his name was Chuck Swindoll. And one of the first things he said was, hey, I remember when I was like you guys. <laughs> and I remember when I went to seminary and thinking, I'm going to find out all the answers to my questions. He said, you know what I found out? I, I just learned how many more questions I actually have. That's the chancellor of the seminary. I wanted my money back. That's not the way it's supposed to work, Chuck. No, we're supposed to get some answers. And I would just tell you like, and the more you come to grips with, hey, you can hold these things in tension, you will see God work and move in your life in a powerful way. And so ask God your questions. He invites them. He's a father. You're his kid. He wants to, you to come to him with your questions. My kids, man, they, they have questions all the time. And I've talked about my kids a little bit recently. They're, they're in different stages now, like 14, 11, and 8 their questions are across the map. <laughs> their questions are about geometry and their questions are about, dad, what's your favorite color? I mean, they're across the map. They're, God, dad, why is she dressed like that? Hey, dad, why, why did that person say this on TV? Why did my friends say this? Why did my teacher say this? Why did I hear about this fire in Hawaii? Killed all these people. And the, the amazing thing about kids is man, they just, they just ask the questions they got. They don't hold back. You know why? Because I'm their dad. And they know I love them. And they know I have a little bit more information than they do at their age. And so they come to me with their questions. And what do I do with that? Um, you have a question about that? Hawaii right now? Like, how dare you? <laughs> you have a question about what that person said at school about sexuality? What? How do you not understand that already? You're eight. No, I say, hey, come here. 
Let's sit down and talk about it. Let's sit down and dialogue. Let's read this book together. Let's wrestle with that. Because I'm a father. God is a perfect father, way better than me. He invites your questions. Now, I have to make a decision right now. I have two more points, and I went way too long on that first one. So. Uh, we have a whole series, though, right, guys? Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to do this. We're going to skip the second point because it, it has a lot to do with next week, and I'm just going to hit on it and tease it, but we're going to go to the third point. The third point, guys, on the slides is don't stop asking questions. Don't stop asking questions. Here's the deal. As you look at the whole of Habakkuk, we're in chapter one, right? You see a question, you see a response. We're going to get into more of the response next week. Then you see questions, then you see a response. And you see is this dialogue with God from Habakkuk. And what you see is a lot of wrestling. But then in chapter three, you see that wrestling turn into worshiping. What I love about Habakkuk, his name in the Hebrew literally meant to embrace or to wrestle. And you see that on display. You see him embracing God as he wrestles with God. Right? Can you picture that? He's like, God, I'm not letting go. What we're going to see is next week, as we dig into the passage more, we're going to see he asks more questions. He doesn't ask one question and then walk away unsatisfied with the answer because the answer is not going to be great. He doesn't just ask a one-off question, dissatisfied and walk away. No, he, he keeps waiting, wrestling, holding on to God. He will not let go. And eventually he ends up worshiping. And so I want us to, to keep asking questions. I want us to keep asking questions like Habakkuk did with God. You see, what's unique about Habakkuk, again, as a prophet, Typically prophets, they get a word from the Lord. Then they go to the people. This is different, right? This is Habakkuk taking a word from the people. Everybody had these questions and he's taking them directly to God. It's a different prophetic book, right? But what I love about that is all these questions, all these doubts, all this confusion, it's happening with God and the people of God. Not apart from God and not apart from the people of God. See, I think many of us were like, yeah, God invites your questions. I mean, don't stop asking questions. Some of you are like, oh, this is the kind of sermon I really love, Tim. Like, I'm a skeptic. I'm a cynic. I got a lot. I got more questions than Habakkuk. As if, can we do that here in this place? And you're just like getting emboldened. You're starting to write questions down. You're texting like a hundred questions for the last week in the panel. And some of you, I mean, you just love questions. And here's what I would tell you. Let's look at this example a little closer. Habakkuk is asking questions with the people of God and with the God of the people, not apart from all that. And some of you, you love to ask questions and your accountability group is like another cynic like you, an atheist and an agnostic. You're like, Tim, yeah, keep asking questions, right? This is a good, like, stop asking questions with those people and start asking questions with God and the people of God. Like you need, if we're going to wrestle with attention, you need one of these things to exist. There needs to be a people who actually do believe God is good, God is sovereign, and God changes people's lives. And he sent Jesus Christ. And we know he loves us because he didn't just say it, he showed it with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we start in that place. Do we bring our questions? Do we bring our doubts? Absolutely we do. But we start with a firm foundation. We're going to sing about it in the moment. We hold fast to what is true. 
And it's in, in that presence of the people of God and of God, of him, God himself that God can move in our questions. He can lead us down a path. We are wrestling now, but one day we will worship. And maybe we'll wrestle in the midst of the worship because we'll look around the room and see some other people. Hey, you've experienced this also. You have questions also. And God meets us where we are, not where we pretend to be. Let's join together, lock arms in faith together as we ask our questions. That's the place that Phoenix Bible Church wants to be. So don't just get so excited about questions and run off to all your agnostic friends. Come in the church with a Bible, with Jesus Christ, with the spirit of God and the people of God, with your questions. Do it here. Amen? That, that's what this place is for. It's a hospital for hurting people, not a museum for saints who have all the answers. Starting with your pastor. I'm telling you, I got some questions. Let's dialogue together. Find some people in a community group. Find some people outside over snow cones <laughs> and see God redeem snow cones today. Because you're like, hey, man, I, I don't, I want to stop pretending. I got some questions. Can, can we walk through? Can we study God's word together? That's the kind of keep asking questions we're talking about. It can be a beautiful thing. Listen, some of the people that I believe have the most faith also have the most questions. Tim Keller, I think we still have this quote. Tim Keller said it this way, pastor, author who recently passed away, said it this way, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without antibodies. As you start to ask your questions with the people of God, the word of God, the spirit of God, your faith strengthens. You start to understand that God is with you even in the midst of your questions. And you start to empathize with other people who have questions. My dad right now, um, he has some questions. We have some questions. I've told you guys before, he's walking through a road of cancer. And we kind of thought there was a surgery and they were kind of like, hey, take the esophagus out and then like the cancer will just be gone. And they realized, they took the cancer out and they realized, oh, it was more aggressive than we realized. And so now we need to do chemo. And now my dad's voice isn't really back because it's like paralyzed vocal cords. And he's having to go to all these doctor's appointments while he gets chemo, while he tries to get used to a stomach that is now his esophagus and digestion. My, my dad has some questions. Our family has some questions. God, I thought you were going to take care of it with the surgery. That would have been better. It's a better plan, God. God, you can do anything. Just My dad's one of the most faith-filled people I know. You can do anything. Just heal him. He hasn't done that yet. But every single Sunday, just like every single Sunday before my dad had cancer, he texts me. It says the same thing. Tim, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God will move mighty, mightily in your midst today. And I can just tell you, my dad has a stronger faith now, not a weaker one. And he still has questions. That's the kind of life I want. You're not going to get away from the questions. They exist. You're not going to get away from the pain and the brokenness. It will still be there. What you can do is move closer to God in the midst of it and bring your questions to him. He wants to hear from you because he's a good father and you are his kids. Amen? So we're going to end today a little bit differently. Um, I, I know that, that we're, a lot of us, man, we're in Habakkuk chapter 1. 
Habakkuk 3, he worships, and that's a sweet, powerful song that he gives. We'll get to that. But right now we're in Habakkuk chapter one. And so this sermon isn't gonna be like a sitcom that everything gets wrapped up with a nice little bow on top and we move on to the next episode. I'm sorry if that's what you came for. But what we are gonna do is we're gonna sit in Habakkuk one because I think life is Habakkuk one. And we're gonna bring our questions to God. And so we're gonna have a prayer team down front on my left and on my right. Man, I would just implore you, if you have any questions at all, man, bring these questions to God and the people of God and do so in prayer. Invite you to come. Maybe you're not ready to sing yet, but you're ready to give your questions to God. Come, these people want to pray with you and for you. Maybe you need to sit. Maybe you need to stand and cry out. I mean, Habakkuk is crying out before the Lord. Maybe that's what you need to do right where you are. This is a free place for you to be able to do that. So let's, let's respond. God meets us where we are, not where we pretend to be. Let's respond right where we are right now and see God move. Amen? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way your word meets us where we are. Uh, God, I do pray for these men and women across this room, even the ones who are watching online. God, I pray that we would bring our questions to you, that we would not believe the lie, that we have to hide them, ignore them, or numb them. God, we would not believe the lie that we have to walk away from you because we have questions for you. But instead, we, we would know that you're way bigger and stronger than that. And God, we can bring our questions straight to you, that you already know them and that you want us to bring them to you like a good father, like a perfect father would. And so God, I pray just right now, I pray that this would be a time not for pretense, but for power. That in this room, people in this room would, maybe they need to come to the front and just boldly say, I have some questions and I need God to meet me where I am. And I wanna hold fast to him and I'm trying and it's hard to do that by myself. God, maybe they would just sing and cry out right where they are, just in a fresh way, in a, in a sincere way, just cry out to you and not, not just say the things you think that they they want you to hear, but God, that they would just be real right where they are and you would meet them in a powerful way and you would change us for your glory and for our good. We know you're gonna do that. So we ask with that expectation. We pray that in the name of Jesus and everybody said, amen.